No more colourful wrestler, no more popular performer has figured in the field of mat men in Australia than Chief Little Wolf, here seen matched with Andy Moham. An effervescent grappler, Little Wolf became a household name and his Indian deathlock a famous wrestling trademark. I'm Jen Kelly from the Herald Sun and this podcast is the second in a series exploring the untold stories of some of Victoria's forgotten characters. You just heard a recording from one of Chief Little Wolf's bouts in the wrestling ring in Sydney in 1939. But you didn't have to be a wrestling fan to know his name. Chief Little Wolf was a celebrity in Melbourne from the 1930s onwards. He was a master showman who was built like a tank and known for his striking feathered Indian headdress. I spoke to historian and wrestling fan Barry York, who researched the Chief's life for the Australian Dictionary of Biography. And he told us the larger-than-life Navajo wrestler was a sight to behold. He would enter the ring wearing the headdress. And sometimes he'd even do that stereotypical Indian call, you know, the type thing. So as he's coming down the aisle into the ring, the headdress would be flowing behind him. I think the reason he had that kind of, uh, he might say, folk, loric, folk, heroic kind of status was Firstly, because he was a genuine Native American, he was a Navajo, and that was quite an exotic thing in Australian society back then. So people were attracted to him for that exotic reason. He was a great self-promoter, and I don't say that in a negative way, but I had letters from people telling me, oh, yeah, we remember him shopping in Myers with his headdress. He wore the headdress pretty much everywhere. But also he was what you might call a man of the people. He, he was this celebrity figure that he, he had no, uh, no snobbiness or sense of superiority. On the contrary, from all that I've learned, he was very approachable. He loved people. He uh, helped people a lot too. Chief Little Wolf was born Ventura Tenario in 1911 in a tiny town in Colorado in the US. He and his siblings were raised in a straw mud hut, sleeping on a dirt floor. His mother died when he was about 12. His father went bankrupt, and by the time he was in his early teens, Tenario took off from home, carrying a bedroll, working at a copper mine, and then joining a travelling carnival. He turned to boxing and wrestling, And by the 1930s, when he first came to Australia to wrestle, he had adopted the stage name Chief Little Wolf. He won over Australian crowds and became an instant celebrity. The Chief never knocked back requests for autographs and happily posed for snapshots with admirers. Chief Little Wolf made several more visits, touring around Australia, then settled permanently in Melbourne in the early 50s. He did fall in love with Australia from all accounts. He loved the people, he loved the environment and he fell in love with an Australian woman called Donna who he married, I think, in 1952. They had a daughter called Marquita who I'm sure some people will remember as a really good singer. She used to appear on the Don Lane show and in Melbourne tonight and (laughs) she'd dress up as a Native American. 
Chief Little Wolf continued wrestling and became most famous for his winning hold, the Indian Deathlock. He said that it was sort of a, based on a torture technique developed by Geronimo, the great warrior, who would use a stake like a piece of wood and wrap any of the invaders' uh, legs around it out in the desert and they'd just be unable to get out of that position. And the chief would use a similar manoeuvre but using his own leg instead of the stake. There was a submission hold and I know that wrestling has a lot of theatrics about it but uh, it would have been very painful. There was no way you could apply that hold without putting some pain onto the opponent. In the 1930s, 40s, 50s and then the television era that followed uh, Professional wrestling has always been pre-arranged. In that sense, it isn't a, a genuine sport. But not for one moment would I want to overlook the great skill and entertainment value. It's very clever what they do in the ring. As well as wrestling, Chief Little Wolf toured a tent show around the country and was a regular at the Royal Melbourne Show. At the Melbourne Show, he did... Uh, exhibitions of um, lassoing at some of the shows. I'm not sure if Melbourne showed that he would do tricks on a horse. He was a very good horseman. But everyone knew him really as a great wrestler and the master of the Indian Deathlock. So he would also ask people to come forward and let him try a hold on them. One bloke said, you know, the chief came to our country town. I went to the show to see him and he asked was anyone game for him to put the uh, Indian deathlock on them and he said I went forward the chief sort of pushed me down put the Indian deathlock on me and it was the greatest moment of my life it's <laughs> <laughs> a great story and and you saw him yourself at the Royal Melbourne show yeah when I, I was born in 1951 uh, we migrated to Australia in 1954 and my dad would take me to the show, you know, probably it was 1955, 56 and I remember the tent with the picture of the chief with the uh, Indian death lock, with the uh, headdress, also he had a big caravan with his portrait on the side of it with the headdress. The chief was married three times. His second wife, American Dorothy Pratt, had two children, David and Helen. David Little Wolf, who grew up in Melbourne and still lives in country Victoria, was eight when the chief came into his life. He was immediately incorporated into his stepfather's travelling stage act, which continued until he was about 16. I was the cowboy, he was the Indian. Usually I would uh, be invited up to sing a song, uh, which I would do very badly. I was, I was shy beyond belief. And, and still partly am, and, uh, but I'd usually get through it one way or another. And uh, usually the pianist didn't know the song, and nobody bothered to get any sheet music. So, uh, you know, but it worked. People liked it, and uh, I started getting used to the applause. You know, really, I mean, started craving it. And it's very addictive. Yeah. And uh, started having fun with it. And, and what did you sing? What was the song? Oh, it could be Back in the Saddle Again or uh, one of those Roy Rogers and Day Evans things. And did this show go, what, through New South Wales and Victoria or around Australia? 
who did uh, all of New South Wales, all of Victoria, Queensland, part of South Australia. Despite the years spent touring and performing with Chief Little Wolf, David Little Wolf was no fan of his stepfather when he was growing up. He was very strict, uh, made me very angry. He, uh, the first instance we'd gone to, to, to one of their mom and dad's friends for dinner one night, uh, shortly after I became part of the gang, and uh, I did something, and I talked back to him, and he grabbed me by the shirt front and threw me up against the wall and, and lifted me up with one hand, and he said, I'm your father now, and you will do exactly what I tell you. I kind of hated him, you know? It was a, a, a sort of a hate relationship. It wasn't very good. And uh, it never really got good until he had the uh, stroke in uh, 68. And then I, I realized then, you know, just what I had. What I had. And I had this wonderful man. He was, took awfully good care of me. And I, he was somebody else all of a sudden. In contrast to his fearsome presence in the ring, away from the spotlight, Chief Little Wolf became renowned for a different activity. He made countless unpublicised visits to sick children in hospitals where he would perform Navajo dances and entertain for hours. He would regularly go to the children's hospital and places like that in his headdress, of course, just to cheer up the sick kids. And people would have known that that had happened. I had letters in the 1990s from former nurses who said that, you know, the chief would have a huge impact on the morale of the sick kids. And he never had media with him or anything. He just did it because that's the kind of person he was. David Littlewolf often joined his stepfather on visits to sick children and ex-servicemen and remembers they took a huge emotional toll. It was the, the emotional roller coaster that I got on going to the uh, ex or to the servicemen and, and the children's hospitals with him. It, it would drain me emotionally. It would drain him too. He would walk outside, get far enough away and just break down. He would absolutely lose it seeing those poor children, those poor guys. I mean, it's just, my God, you know. Chief Little Wolf loved entertaining all children, and some older Victorians remember when he was living in Pascoe Vale in Melbourne, he would take local children to the pool. Elaine lived two doors from the chief in Pascoe Vale in the 50s and says he spent much of his time in a teepee set up in his backyard. But she says occasionally the teepee would disappear and he would take it down to the Merry Creek just behind Pentridge Prison and spend a few days getting back to nature. At other times, when he wasn't on the road touring, the chief and his family lived in a little caravan in the city. Harry, from Hampton Park, was a telegram messenger who would deliver telegrams there. He says the chief would often come to the door himself, sometimes in his famous headdress, and always with a smile and a joke. Chief Little Wolf was forced to retire after he suffered the first of a series of strokes in the late 1950s. He spent years in the Mount Royal Hospital, Melbourne, before he returned to California in 1980 and died there in 1984. But despite vanishing from public life, Chief Little Wolf's name lived on through the 60s, 70s and 80s. The Chief was pretty straightforward and he was at home in the company of waterside workers or uh, business people. Everyone loved the Chief. 
Thanks for listening. This podcast is the second in a series sharing the untold stories of some of Victoria's forgotten characters, brought to you by the Herald Sons in black and white column. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth and I thought he was dead. Another one been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.